Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Good morning. Whoa, welcome to Renaissance. Okay, see you later. Let's try this again. Good morning. Oh, welcome to Renaissance. Oh my gosh, worse. I thought 9 a.m. was bad. That was real bad. But I forgive you enough to get to heaven. So we're going to move on from that. Thank you. Well, does it feel a little hot in here? It's a little warm in here. I assure you the air conditioner is on, but there's so much hot air being circulated throughout the room that it's hard to cool it down in here. And it's a problem for me because I sweat when I peel an orange. So you're probably going to notice me glowing up here a little bit today, and I would love to say that it's just God's Holy Spirit shining through me, but it's not. It's just going to be sweat on my face. So bear with me, and I'll bear with those of you. I see fanning yourselves too. So, But if we haven't met yet, my name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here at Renaissance, and we're really glad that you're here. And if, if this is your first time here, we want to welcome you and say thank you for coming. You may not know that every Sunday we take time and study the Bible together, and we do that because we believe it's a book that will tell us all about who Jesus is, and we want to know who he is, and we want to talk a lot about him, and so we study the Bible so we can do that, and we also understand that many times there are people who come to Renaissance who maybe have never been to church before, or maybe don't even own a Bible, and if that's the case, you can look underneath the seat around you, and we put a Bible there for you to follow along as we study today, and if you brought a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 29. If you're going to use the Bible underneath the seat around you, you can turn to Genesis chapter 23. And hey, if you're using that Bible and you don't own one, when you leave today, just take that Bible with you so you can have a copy for yourself. We'll also put the words up on the screen here for you, but I want to catch us up a little bit as to where we are in the story here in Genesis chapter 29. So the Bible is a a book full of many different stories and each book in the Bible has its own purpose. And and the book of Genesis is a book that tells us of a lot of different origins of things in the world. In fact, the word Genesis means origins. And it tells us the origin of the universe, how God in the beginning created the heavens and the earth. It, It tells us the origin of evil in the earth by this thing we call sin, which at its simplest means guilt. It tells us that God created man and and placed this man in a beautiful garden and he gave him a wife who he called Eve and this man Adam and his wife Eve lived in this beautiful garden and God gave them two stipulations. One, tend this garden, pick the fruit from its trees and two, do not eat from one particular tree 
in this garden. The only stipulations they had, and they did fine picking the fruit from the trees and tending the garden, but they disobeyed that one stipulation to stay away from this particular tree. And after eating that forbidden fruit, God in great sorrow banished them from this garden. And as devastating as that was for Adam and Eve, it was even more devastating for God who, while they were there, lived in such closeness to Adam and Eve, it said that, that it was as though they could hear God walking around in the garden. It was like his feet were crunching on the leaves of the garden that they lived in. And after they disobey his command not to eat from this tree, he has to banish them from that. And he looks at Eve and he says, One day, Eve, you're going to have a descendant, a son, an innocent man, and he's going to come into the world and he's going to undo everything you and Adam have just done. He's going to take away that feeling of guilt that you feel right now. He's going to restore you to closeness to me. Now the Bible, the book of Genesis' purpose isn't just to tell us how the earth came to be formed. It isn't just to tell us how evil came to be in the world, but, but its purpose was to tell a nation called Israel where their origin came from, how, how they began and, and how God promised they were going to live and be and grow. And, and the Bible tells us, those of us who know the story of a man named Moses, if you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt or perhaps the Ten Commandments, you know the story that this Moses led these people out of the nation of Egypt and into this land that he promised them, that God was going to promise them. And there was great turmoil and fear on their part as they wandered for 40 years in the desert waiting to get into this land God had promised to give them. And it's during that time that Moses sits down and pins this book to give encouragement to them, to remind them where they came from and encourage them where they're going, all because of what God had promised. You see, there was a man named Abraham that, that God promised, just like he did to Eve. Abraham, you're going to have a descendant. Many descendants, actually, so numerous that they're going to fill this land that you're living in. And one of those descendants will come and he'll undo all of the mess that Adam and Eve made. He'll restore everyone to closeness with God. Ab Abraham and his wife go on to have a son named Isaac. And this man, Isaac, and his wife, Rebekah, go on to have two sons, a man named Esau and a man named Jacob. And this Jacob is the focal point of the story where we'll be reading today. And so that's where I would like to take us in Genesis chapter 29. But before we go there, I would like to pause for a moment and pray and ask God to help us understand what we'll be studying. So would you pray with me? Lord, we, we're so thankful that we have the, the Bible as a guide to understand who you are, to understand how much you love us, to understand your purpose in this earth through your son, Jesus. I pray that as we read and as we study today, we would understand that. We would understand who Jesus is, that you would help us to become and to feel closer to you through your son, Jesus, today and what we learn about him. I pray that you would use my weak and feeble words to help everyone, including myself, know you better. Lord, we, we thank you that you love to use weak and feeble people to accomplish your purposes, and we, we expect nothing less today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
One of the things I love about the Bible is that it's full of so many different stories about many different lives. And very often when we read about these people's lives, we see them doing some of the most common things in the world. For example, we see many stories in the Bible of people who meet their significant other. There are many stories told of how people met their significant other. In fact, there are three stories in the Bible of how people met their significant other at a well. And the significance of them meeting their significant other at a well is because the well in that day is not what we think of in wells today. Because today, a well just means that you live on the outskirts of town and just wish you could tie into municipal water. For them, well meant life. Many places in the world today, a well means life. There are, there are organizations you can give money to and they will dig a well in a place where there is no running water and give life to those people. Even more so in the ancient world, a well meant life. So what would happen is a source of water would be found, a well would be dug, and a city would be established nearby. And oftentimes people would gather around the well during the day. Every morning and every evening, women from the town would come out and draw water from the well. Shepherds would gather their flocks around the well and water them so that they could survive. And it became a social gathering place for many people where many people wound up meeting their significant other. Puts a whole spin on, you want to go get something to drink, doesn't it? Yeah, let's go get something to drink at the well. And many of you who are married or engaged or dating someone can think about the, the ways and places that you met your significant other. Perhaps it was at work. Perhaps it was at school. Perhaps it was at church. There are many different ways, but the Bible focuses in on a couple important different stories about people who met their significant other at a well. Jacob's parents, Isaac and Rebekah, they met at a well. Long story short, Isaac's father, Abraham, says to his servant, my son Isaac is 40 years old and is still unmarried. I need you to leave and go find him a wife from my father's homeland. And so he travels to that land and comes upon this young woman who is resting at, guess where? A well. And he finds her and he brings her back home with him and she marries Isaac and they have these two boys, Esau and then Jacob. Genesis chapter 29, verse one, it says, then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east and as he looked, he saw a well. Oh boy, we know what he's thinking now. We know what he's thinking. We know what he's about to do. He's like, there's a well, there's gonna be some honeys up in there and I'm gonna go... <laughs> And I'm going to go and find me somebody at this well, because that's what mom and dad did. That's what people did in those days. They found significant others at wells. And so Jacob goes to this well, and I wonder, as in his mind, that's the purpose he's going to the well for. I want to go meet somebody new. I want to go meet some new people. Like, like nobody goes out just to get a drink, right? You want to go meet some new people. And I suspect that maybe some of you are here just to maybe find a spouse, okay? Let's be honest. Ladies, just ladies, 28 to 33, would you raise your hand? <laughs> I kid. But seriously, no. But isn't it true that we've all come here for something? We've all 
come into church because we want to find something. We're looking for something in life. Isn't that true that, that whether we're looking to meet someone or make some friends or perhaps learn something more about who God is or perhaps experience his presence while we're worshiping him, isn't it true that when we come to church, we come because we want to find something that we think will benefit our lives? Now, I understand that some of you might be here because someone dragged you here. And you would say that they pestered you and pestered you and pestered you until you finally gave in and showed up. But I can tell you this, if you're here, you're still here of your own will. No one forced you to come. No one actually dragged you. They may have applied pressure, but, but I want to tell you that if you're here, I believe you're here for a reason. It's not a mistake. It's not an accident. You weren't just dragged here. You weren't tricked into coming to church. You're here for a reason, and I think God is behind that reason. Many of us who follow Jesus will look back at our lives and notice the breadcrumbs that he dropped us along the way. And sometimes it involved going to a weird church in downtown Decatur. And we look back and we're thankful for that moment. And for those of you in the room who are in that place, man, I don't know what I'm doing here. I don't want to be here. I would say that I believe God has brought you here. You're here for a reason. You're here because he wants you to know how much he loves you. We learn and go on in verse 4 that Jacob has approached a group of shepherds who are at this well. And he says to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we're from Haran, which is where Abraham's family is from. And he said to them, oh, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? This Laban is his mother, Rebekah's brother. So he's like, you guys probably know my uncle Laban. Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. He said to them, how's he doing? They said, he's doing great. Here comes his daughter, Rachel. She's got some sheep with her. And he says, oh boy. <laughs> Look at her. Now for us, it seems a little bit strange that his eye would be caught by his first cousin. And, and, and some of you maybe found your spouse at a family reunion, and if that's so... I'm not here to judge you, okay? For us, that's a little weird. For them, it was not only normal, it was expected that they would marry or keep it within the family, so to speak. They would think it was odd for us to marry outside of our families. That's one of the other things I love about the Bible is that because it's so far removed from our culture, we get to learn about the many different ways people have viewed life over thousands of years. And that was one of the ways in the ancient world. They expected that they would marry within their family. And so when he realizes that this Rachel, this beautiful Rachel is his uncle's daughter, she really catches his eye. And so he goes along and he helps her water her sheep. Now, the stone that is over the mouth of the well would have been pretty big, and, and it usually took several men to roll that stone away. But the Bible tells us that Jacob, verse 10, as soon as he saw her and her sheep, he came near and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth. He's like, it's okay, honey, I got this. All by himself, rolls the stone away, and then he kisses her. Again, weird, different culture thing. I wouldn't recommend that on a first date here. Verse 12, Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinman, and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. 
And Laban, her father, comes and Jacob says, I want to I stay with you, Laban. I want to I live with you for a while. And Laban says, that's great. And so Jacob begins to work for him and tend his sheep and to help him and to serve him. And after a while, Laban says, Jacob, it's not okay that, that you're just working for me for nothing. Is there, is there anything that I can give you to pay you back for your work for me? And he says, I got an idea. How about your daughter, Rachel? Try that one with your boss when you ask for a raise. <laughs> But Laban says, bet. So Jacob serves Laban for seven years so that he might marry Laban's beautiful daughter, Rachel. And the Bible tells us that it seemed like just a few days because of the love he had for her. And they go on, the seven years pass, and Jacob comes up to Laban and he says, okay, man, I've fulfilled my promise to you to work for seven years, and now I'm ready to be married to your daughter, Rachel. And Laban's like, let's great, that's great, let's have the wedding. And weddings in those days for them were different than they are for us. And in our day, we have the ceremony first and then the reception where everyone drinks afterwards. In those days, they had the ceremony last and the reception where everyone drinks first. You can imagine the kind of problems that might cause. And so Jacob has been celebrating and drinking all day, and now it's time for his wedding. And you can see Laban escorting the bride down the aisle, and they come, and the minister asks, who gives this woman to this man? And Laban says, her mother and I do. They conclude the ceremony, and Jacob whisks her away to his tent, still feeling a little tipsy after all of the celebrating wakes up the next morning only to discover that the woman in bed with him is not Rachel, but her older sister Leah, who's not that beautiful, the Bible tells us. Talk about a shock and awe moment for Jacob. And so he wakes up and in anger, he goes to his uncle, father-in-law, whatever he is now. It gets a little weird, but, but verse 25 says, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. It's not the beautiful Rachel. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this that you've done to me? Didn't I serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? You tricked me. You got me drunk and I went to bed and married your ugly oldest daughter when I wanted to marry the cute younger one. You tricked me into it. Why would you do this? And this reminds me that if we flipped just a couple chapters back, we would see that Jacob, at the end of his father's life, he goes into his father and disguises himself as his older brother, as his father's eyes are dimming from age. And he tricks him into essentially giving his older brother's inheritance to him. And so Jacob, now the deceiver, turns to his uncle Laban and says, why have you deceived me? And I don't think for a moment that this is in the Bible to teach us a lesson that what goes around comes around, that, that if you continue to make bad choices, God's gonna punish you. I don't think that's what we're seeing here. I think, I think we can find a clue as to why this deception happened in verse 14. It says, when Laban meets Jacob, he says to him, surely you are my bone and my Flesh, And what he's not saying there is, I can tell you're my nephew because we have the same nose. We have the same eyes. You look like your sister. I know we're family. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying to him is, Jacob, you and I, I can tell we're cut from the same cloth. 
We're the same kind of man, Jacob. You're a liar, you're a conniver, you're a schemer, you're a deceiver. I'm a liar, I'm a conniver, I'm a schemer, I'm a deceiver. Jacob, we're gonna get along just fine. And Jacob, who's chosen to associate himself with a man just like himself, has found himself in the shoes of his father who suffered at his deceit years before. This makes me wonder, what is my life going to look like in a few years based on the company I'm keeping? So if I'm making poor decisions and bad choices now, and the people around me are doing the same thing, in five years, my life is only going to get worse. If I continue to, to spend my time with the same people who only drag me down and, and cause me to make the same poor choices over and over and over again, I'll end up in the same place that I've been over and over and over again. Some have said that if you look at your inner circle and, and count the five people that are closest to you, in a few years, you will be the sum of all of those people. So if I look at those people around me and and ask myself, do I want to be like them in five years? If I can't answer yes, then I need to change my people. And it might be harmful, and it might be hurtful, and it might feel painful, and we might wonder why in the world is this necessary. We can look at Jacob's life and see how his choice to associate himself with a man just like himself led to him falling into the same deceptive patterns that have been a part of his life since birth. Since birth, the name Jacob means deceiver. It's like they knew that's who he was going to be. Sometimes we have to change our people. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, writing to a group of his friends, said, don't you realize that bad company will corrupt good morals? That, the, that the, the people we associate ourselves with, if, if I'm not well, if I'm not healthy, if I'm not strong, I am not going to lift them up. They are going to bring me down. And so I have to choose, where am I going to spend my time? With people who are like the person I don't want to be? Or do I need to find new people who are like the person I want to become? Jacob had to learn that the hard way. But what about poor Leah, who's now married to a man who, in verse 29, in verse 30, says doesn't love her. Jacob went into Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and serves Laban for seven more years for Rachel. Can you imagine the place that poor Leah is in now? Having as a young girl imagined one day she would grow up and marry a strong and handsome man and who would, who would lead her into a great life, the picket fence, the, the, the dream life that they could have together only to realize that, that waking up next to him, he did not want to be with her. I spent some time with a very close friend of mine last night who's having some problems in his marriage and he said to me, Joe, my wife is not the person that I married. I wonder how many of us can think of people that we love who've said that about their spouse. My wife is not the person I married. My husband is not the person that I married. How many of us can look at them in the mirror and say, I'm not the person I once was, whether good or bad? 
How many of us can look in the mirror and say, I imagined my life would look differently than it does now. I imagined I would be in a different place. I, I imagined I would be doing different things. A couple years ago, our denomination sent all of the ministers a survey, and they asked us to fill it out for personal growth. They didn't want it returned. They just wanted to ask questions to, to get us thinking about our lives. And I answered the first two questions. What is your name? What is your date of birth? Easy. I got this. Question number three, where do you find yourself in five years? And I threw it away. So I'm like, I have no idea. And I have no idea because if I looked back at the, the past five years of my life, I, I wouldn't have seen myself here where I am right now. So, see, we can make plans and we can make goals and we can have ideals, but life is too unpredictable to be for certain where we're going to end up. Life throws too many curveballs at us, and sometimes people scheme and take things from us and ruin our lives, and we don't end up the way that we expected we would end up, and now... We're stuck to suffer like poor Leah did with someone who doesn't love her. What do we then do in our disappointment? Well, she's sad and upset and dejected, probably full of shame in this as well, because she knows she's the unloved sister wife. Every morning waking up knowing that her husband loves the other wife more than he loves her. Verse 31 says, the Lord saw that she was hated. God was paying attention. The Bible tells us that, that the Lord is the defender of those who are weak. He is the defender of those who are oppressed. He is the defender of those who are pushed around, who are not strong enough to help themselves, that God defends those people. There are multiple commands in the Old Testament against harming people who cannot help themselves. God defends those who are weak. And he says, it says, when he saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. In verse 32, she conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, which means, look, I have a son, which is a weird name for a kid. It's my son, look, I have a son. What she's saying is, I know that God sees me now. God is watching me. God is looking at me. I felt forgotten. I felt like he didn't know where I was. I felt like he didn't understand my pain. I felt like he was separate from my problems and my fears. But he saw me and he's given me a son and she loved it so much. She named him after that theological idea that God sees everything. And so if, if you feel, if I feel, if we feel lost or forgotten or unnoticed, know this, that God sees everything. He sees us at all times. We don't escape his sight. This is both encouraging and challenging because he sees me in my darkest moments as well. He sees me when I choose to yell things at another driver on the road when I'm alone in my car and I think no one else can hear. I think none of you can hear what I'm yelling at another driver on the road. He sees that. He's watching. He's involved in every area of our lives and there's nothing that escapes his oversight she goes on the bible tells us to have another son verse 33 she conceived again and bore a son and said because the lord has heard that i am hated he has given me this son also and she named him simeon which sounds like the hebrew word for i hear you 
She says, God hears me when I call out to him. He heard my tears. He heard Leah's tears as she laid her bed, laid her head to bed every night to cry herself to sleep. He hears the tears that you cry over your children who are wayward, who don't speak to you. He hears your tears over your marriage. He hears your tears over your job loss. What are you in pain and agony about? You might feel like you're alone and that no one knows your struggle. I can tell you this, God hears. And sometimes we need to be that hearing ear for others around us. Very often when someone is struggling and in trouble and, and dealing with great difficulties, we want to come alongside them and help them fix it. Sometimes the only thing that will help someone is just that we listen. And very often one person's listening ear can be as though it's God's ear listening to them. It's the simplest thing you have to do. You just don't have to say anything at all. It's real easy to just listen to others at times. And Leah is so struck by this understanding of who God is that she names her son after this theological thought that God is listening to me. Verse 34, she conceived and bore another son and said, this time my husband will be attached to me because I've borne him three sons. This desire for intimacy and closeness and attachment has been a part of all of us. It's woven into our DNA. That's why Adam and Eve loved being in the garden and feeling close to God. And ever since they were thrown out, we've all been trying to get back to that feeling of intimacy and closeness with God, but most of us, many of us, many times throughout our lives, mistake that feeling, that desire to be close to God and attach ourselves to other things. And what we often find is that the thing we attached ourselves, that we were hoping would fill a longing that only God would fill, we find ourselves incredibly disappointed with it. And very often we throw it away like trash, and very often, unfortunately, it's a person that we've attached ourselves to that we throw away like trash. Very often, it's a person we attach ourselves to that we think was going to give us that which we so desired, but it only turned out to be smoke and mirrors because God is the only one who can truly fulfill the longings of every human heart. Verse 35, she conceived again and she bore another son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. And she named this son Judah, which simply means praise. She said, I'm going to praise the Lord this time. It's interesting to me that it took four kids before she actually stopped to praise the Lord. You see, the first three sons, it's as though she was still having a pity party. Wow, the Lord, I thought no one could see me, but he sees me now. Wow, I thought no one was listening to me, but the Lord is listening to me now. Oh man, I, I just want to be close to my husband and he'll be close to me now since I've had another son. And the fourth son comes along and she finally says, now I'm going to praise the Lord. I wonder how long we're waiting for God to give us something before we'll stop and give him thanks. What are we waiting for to praise him just for who he is? And I can tell you this, that he's already given us everything we need in his son, Jesus. And so there is full reason to praise him now. Stop waiting for some blessing that you hope will come your way before you stop to thank God. Because he's given us every blessing we need in his son, Jesus, and is worthy of praise right now. Later on, we read about the nation of Israel that when 
they, these families, these men began to grow. They began to have families and their families grew into tribes. And these tribes made up this great nation. And Moses was told by the Lord, when you go out to battle, I want you to put the tribe of Judah in front of everyone else. And I want them to sing praises to me while they're marching onward to battle. He says, before you do anything else, before you're going to conquer any enemy, you must be praising me. First, you have to start with thanking God because he's already worthy because of his son, Jesus. We don't have to wait for him to give us something great before we stop and say, wow, God, thank you for what you've done for me. He already deserves it because he's what he's given us in his son. Now, I can't, I can't read this story about Leah, this woman who was rejected and full of shame and full of sorrow and pain without thinking of the story of another woman in the Bible who we're told Jesus comes to and finds her where? You guessed it, at a well. And Jesus isn't looking for a wife here, but she's left her town to come and draw water. And if you remember earlier, I said that most women would go out in the morning and in the evening to draw water, and it became a social event for them. This woman who's coming to draw water where Jesus is at, comes in the middle of the day by herself, which tells me she wants to be alone because she's probably ashamed of some things. She probably doesn't have friends with the other group. She's probably on the outside because she's not good enough to be with them. And she comes along and meets Jesus. And this woman is from a region called Samaria. And, and without spending too much time to explain what that is, just understand this. The Jews and the Samaritans had nothing to do with one another. There was a lot of racial and religious tension between them. And so for her to approach a well where there was a Jew was, was bad enough in itself. But when she gets there, Jesus says to her, can you give me something to drink? And she's blown away that this Jewish man would ask her, a Samaritan woman, for something to drink. She can't believe that he would actually care. And she says that to him. Why are you asking me for something to drink? Why do you think I could give you something? Don't you realize that if I touch that water, it's going to be unclean? Jesus says, what you really don't understand is, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. She says, I, I see you don't have a bucket with you. How are you going to get water, sir? And he goes on to explain to her that he is the one that God had promised to Eve. He is the one that God had promised to Abraham. He is the one that's going to restore all the world and take away all sin and all shame. And in great joy, she, she leaves him. I don't know if she ever gave him a drink of water, but she leaves him and runs back to her town and begins to tell everyone, the bankers, the carpenters, the financial planners. She begins to tell them all, the people around the town, hey, I met a man who I believe is the promised one. And they all come out and they all believe that Jesus is that one that God had promised to send to rescue the world from all of our guilt and all of our sin. I said earlier, when we, when we come to church, very often most of us are, are hoping that we'll find something, that we'll get something out of it, that we'll, that we'll find something that will help a need in our life. And I can tell you this, if, if you're looking for anything else but Jesus, you will be disappointed. He is the well that we need to be drawing water from. 
He is the one that will give us life. He's the one that will sustain us. We must have him. He's got to be the one. And I mentioned earlier that some of you may have come in to Renaissance today, and, and maybe you've never been a part of a church. Maybe you don't believe, or maybe you struggle with doubts. And I want to say, one, I'm glad you're here. We're honored that you're here. In fact, we do a lot of what we do to help you feel comfortable so that we can talk about Jesus. But I also want to say I'm glad you're here because today is a day we call Communion Sunday. And what that means is, is on Communion Sunday, in, in a few moments, some friends of mine are going to come down and they'll begin passing trays of crackers and juice to you. And, and when, they, when they do that, and I'll explain what that means in a moment after they've, after they've come down, what that looks like for us is that we'll get to remember why Jesus came. You see, God said he was going to send his son Jesus to the earth to rescue us. And what that looked like was him giving his life for our sins. What that looked like was him rescuing us by dying, by shedding his blood for our sins. And it's easy for me to understand that, that there may be some in the room who, who don't believe that, who, who don't quite see that yet. Maybe, maybe you, don't, you can't connect the dots and see that as a real thing. Maybe, maybe you have trouble imagining it. But I would just go back to this point that if you would consider that maybe you're here for a reason. Maybe you're here because God has led you here. And, and maybe you're here because you need to, to hear about who Jesus is. And so when the, when the crackers and the juice come your way, you'll, you'll be in, in attention maybe. And you'll wonder, should I take a cracker? Should I take a juice? Everybody else is. And I would say to you if, you, if you don't believe in Jesus, you don't have to. You can let it pass by, and that's okay. In fact, we wouldn't want you to take part in our ceremony if you didn't believe in it anyway. But, but I'm going to pray for us in a moment, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me that if you are looking for something, that maybe you would ask Jesus to show you that he's real, to help you see that he's true. And in that prayer, you can then have the opportunity to share the cracker and the juice with us. So would you bow your heads and pray with me for a moment while I pray for that? Lord, we are so thankful that you have brought everyone here who is here. We are so thankful that everyone has the opportunity today to hear about your son, Jesus. I pray for those in the room who are struggling with doubt, who don't believe in you at all who think you're a fairy tale, who think you're a lie. Lord, I thank you that they're here. And I pray that if they would be open to considering, are you real? That they would ask you, will you show me you're real? Jesus, would you show me that you're true? Lord, I pray that you show them who you are today. In Jesus' name, amen. My friends are passing out crackers and juice to you. And we're doing this because... We take the cracker and the juice and we commemorate uh, something Jesus did at the end of his life. See, the, the night before he was crucified, he had his last meal with his closest friends. And in that last meal, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he passed around. And he said, this loaf of bread represents my body, which tomorrow is going to be broken and battered and bruised. They're going to drive nails into my hands and I'm going to die. He then passed around a cup of wine and said, this 
this cup of wine, it's representative of my blood that's going to be spilled out when my skin is busted open. And he said, I want you to, to eat this and I want you to drink it. And when you do it, I want you to remember what it is I'm doing. Now, we have the privilege of being able to look back and see what happened the next day, that Jesus was, in fact, crucified, that he was arrested and beaten and nailed to a cross. They drove nails in his hands and in his feet and attached him to wooden planks and lifted him up for everyone around to see. And there he bled and he died. What is often left out in the paintings and the sculptures of the crucifixion is the fact that when anyone was crucified, they were crucified naked. Jesus was stripped of all of his clothing and hung on the cross. And why is that significant for us? It's because when he's hanging on the cross, it's easy for us to understand that, that his death and his blood being spilt is for the forgiveness of our sins. It's easy for us to grasp that. But what we often miss is that when he was being crucified, he was also being nailed to that cross so that he could put to death our shame as well. So that everything that caused Leah tears at night when she laid her head on her bed is put to death when Jesus is nailed to the cross. Everything that makes you fearful to walk into a crowded room because you wonder what people are going to be thinking of you, that was put to death on Jesus' cross. So what we're going to do today is we'll have crackers and juice because they're cheaper than bread and wine. And we'll... And we'll Share them and remember that when he died, when his life was taken, when his body was broken, when his blood was shed, he did it to remove not only our sins, but also our shame. That thing which keeps us cowering inside, that thing which causes us to not want to, to, not want to be seen by anyone, Jesus has removed that. And I'm going to ask us all to do it together. Very often communion is, ta is talked about as a somber personal moment where we sit by ourselves and imagine that no one else is around us. And that's okay. But oftentimes in the Bible, when this feast was taken, it was just that, a feast amongst many other people. And it was celebratory because we have a lot to be thankful for because Jesus has removed our sin and our shame. And so I'm going to ask you all to take the cracker now. And let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you gave your body to be broken for us on the cross. We're thankful that in doing so, you've removed all of our shame, all of our guilt, and caused us to be able to come close to you again. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. And also, I want to encourage you all to go ahead and take the cup of juice as well representing the blood of Jesus that was shed. And let's thank him for that. Lord, we're so thankful that you shed your blood for us, that you so willingly allowed your body to be broken open so that your blood could be poured out, spilled on the ground to give us forgiveness from our sins and rescuing us from all of our shame. I pray that as we go back into worship now that you would help us to focus on you to keep our eyes on you and to rejoice in all that you've rescued us from. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. 
And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.